Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, church. It's good to see each of you here. And, uh, and Maya, you, you, you welcomed me so much better than when you welcomed Dave, and I'm so appreciative of that. <laughs> and uh, it, is, uh, it really is a joy. My name is Don. And as Dave mentioned, we've been friends for a long time. And uh, Leslie was afraid I might start telling stories, uh, Morley stories. She said, no, 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 Dave's stories, Dave's stories. And I said, well, he'll, he'll tell them himself. He's, he, he doesn't mind. Um, I first met Dave and Leslie some years ago when uh, he was pastor of a church in North Little Rock in a very difficult and a very challenging neighborhood. And I watched as he and Leslie prayed through that circumstance and just followed the Lord by faith. And that was when I really saw a kindred spirit in Dave and Leslie. They're just faith walkers. They, they just want to do the next thing that God leads them to do. And so it's a privilege to be with my friend again. I'm thankful also for Pastor Scott for the invitation, the opportunity to be here with you today. And, and so, so thank you, church, and, and I'm looking forward to, uh, to sharing God's Word with you. We are going to be looking at a passage of Scripture, John chapter 14. And the title of this morning's message um, is uh, orphans no more. I had to think about it. Orphans no more, the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you. And, and it seems that it should go without saying some of the things that we're going to talk about today, but they need to be said. Because you and I are living in a time that's very different than, than 10 years ago or 20 years ago. You know that, right? And, and things are changing even more rapidly than ever. Uh, we those of us who have been around a while, we can remember different kinds of churches, different kind of world, and, and it just, just changed so dramatically. But one of the things that's being affected adversely, in my opinion, is the church in North America. And I see it because I work with 90 churches in the North Shore, uh, pastored uh, a few years, thought that was going to be the, my last place to serve, but God had other things in mind in this particular ministry. Before that, I served 10 years and worked with 1,500 churches in Arkansas. And, and what, what increasingly has happened, in, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, something, something's missing here in what we're saying to pastors, what we're saying to churches. Because over and over again, uh, the statement or the concern when we would come and sit down and talk about issues that churches were having. Were, were, were questions like, can you fix me? Now, they wouldn't say, can you fix us? But that was what was in their mind. And overwhelmingly, that attention was being given to the organizational condition of the church. Well, people aren't coming anymore. We don't have as many as people as we used to have. We're not growing as rapidly as we used to. And what can we do to get more people into the pews or the chairs? And, and it was a focus on the organization. And, and that was particularly acute among pastors because pastors are bombarded with expectations. A lot of those expectations are internal. What kind of pastor should I be? What kind of church leader should I be? And we put a lot of weight and pressure on ourselves with a standard. And then we have expectations that come from the church of what we ought to be, the metrics we use, which tend to be all organizational metrics, the same ones that they use at your workplace for productivity. Um, 
We have even larger cultural expectations with every email that we get on Monday that says five reasons why you're failing as a pastor, six reasons how to have a successful business meeting. I mean, just stuff that just… And the average pastor, when I sit down and talk to them, will tell me, often with tears in their eyes, I didn't sign up for this. This is not why I got into being a pastor. This is not what drew me into this. But 90% of their time or more is consumed by the organizational demands of church life. The great movement that's occurring right now is the idea of church revitalization, and it's happening all over the country. And each individual or organization that seeks to help the churches has their program for helping the church revitalize. It carries with it an implied promise that if you do these things, your church will be revitalized. And, and, it, and it rarely ever succeeds. The largest study that was ever done surveyed some 40 denominations. They found 120,000 churches that they could get data on. They found only 340 churches that met their criteria for revitalization. Now, I don't know how many of you are math whizzes, but if you divide 340 by 120,000, that's a really small number. And I believe the issue is that we're looking at the church primarily as an organization, and Jesus doesn't look at it that way. We think the issue with our churches is organizational. I want to argue today, and I mean that in a net positive way, I want to argue today the issue is not organizational, it is relational. It's a relationship issue. In Matthew 16, Jesus told Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I'll sit down with a group of church leaders that are, their church is in trouble, and they'll say, can you help us? And I say, well, tell me what's wrong. And they'll say, well, they, and they give me all the usual facts. The church isn't growing. We're not reaching young adults and people with families, and our giving is down, and we can't hardly keep the doors open. We can't keep the lights on, and they'll tell me the story. When we get done, they'll say, can, can you help? And, I, and I'll go to the board, literally, I'll do this. I'll go to the board and write out Matthew 16, 18. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I said, dear ones, for the last hour, you've been telling me that the gates of hell are prevailing. So what's wrong? Jesus said, when he's building the church, the gates of hell don't do that. It's a relationship issue. It's being properly related to Christ, who is the head of the church. And in that relationship, when we're rightly related to him, he's saying, when you're rightly related to me, the gates of hell can't stand against the church. They come down. And so I would say, as we pass through this scripture this morning, where are the gates of hell standing in your world? Where are the gates of hell standing in your personal life? Leadership, Southbridge Church, where are the gates of hell standing against Southbridge Church? And before we run off for the next organizational answer to our problem, let's seek Him. Let's seek Him. So the title's Orphans No More. I want to call your attention to this text in John 14, uh, right in the middle of the chapter of John 14. This is the night before Jesus is going to die on the cross. He has been intimating to the disciples clearly and sometimes alluding to the fact that he's not going to be here forever physically. And, and they have not understood that. 
Now, some people understood it. You know, Mary anointed him, his feet, you know, and those kinds of things. There were people who understood what he was saying, but they did not understand that. And they're beginning to understand it. Because at the very first verse of John 14, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. So if he said, let not your hearts be troubled, their hearts were what? Troubled. troubled. Why? Because he's, he's making it clear that he's leaving. And so John 14 is Jesus saying to these followers how the relationship with him is going to continue after he's gone. It's going to change, but fundamentally, it's going to remain the same. For three and a half years, following Jesus meant you got up in the morning, and Jesus said, let's go over to this town, and they followed him. They went to this town. They listened to him teach. They listened to him preach. They watched him heal the sick. They watched him cast out demons. Then he actually sent them out, and, um, and they empowered them to do the same thing. And they just followed him, and what they learned with feeding the 5,000 and other scenarios is that whatever Jesus asks me to do when I'm following him, he supplies to me everything I need to do everything he calls me to do. And they knew that. They understood that. But if he wasn't present physically, how is this going to work? And so John 14 is Jesus answering this great question in their heart. And John 15, by the way, is the, the illustration of it, the vine and the branches. As we come to John 14, verse 16, I just want to read this passage, and then we're going to draw from it the indicators of this relationship Jesus wants to have with you. Verse 16, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper. And literally, He means one just like me, another helper that He may abide with you forever. I'm leaving. He's not. That's what He's saying. The Spirit of truth in the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. And that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You know, one of the things that happens when a church has multiple services like you do, is preachers get tired. <laughs> Music people, these worship leaders, they get tired. Now, you don't know that they already did a service. They come in, and their great challenge is, we want to, this worship service, we want it to be as focused on the Lord as the first one. And that's my desire, too. So, would you pray with me? Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. It is precious to us. It is sweet to us. But, Father, we can never understand it unless you help us. So, we welcome you here through your Holy Spirit, and we ask you to come, walk among us, and touch every heart that's physically here and that's watching over the internet. We pray you would touch every heart. Father, in your word, Peter preached, repent and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. We pray this would be one of those times as you make your presence real to our minds and to our hearts, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The most impressive verse of the ones that I read is found in verse 18 when he says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. 
very significant because the word orphan is only used twice in the New Testament. Jesus is using 50% of it right here. And an orphan in Jesus' day was at a tremendous social and economic disadvantage. They were in a crisis because without a parent, that's what an orphan is, a parentless person. Without a parent, they had no one to look out for them, no one to teach them, no one to guide them, no one to provide for them, no one to protect them. And Jesus is saying to these men, using a word, it's only used twice in the Scripture, He says, I'm not going to leave you like that. Do you get the significance? He could have said, I won't leave you alone. I won't abandon you. I won't leave you without resources. If you talk to me, I'll answer your prayer. They could have said all kinds of stuff. But he used a relationship word, orphan, and that's what's implied there, a certain kind of relationship. I'm not going to leave you with a certain kind of relationship where I'm not involved in your life, and I'm not taking care of you, and I'm not looking out for you. I'm not going to leave you like that. The great tragedy is so many believers live like parentless people as if there's no one looking out for you, as if there's no one taking care of you, willing to provide for you. And so, the relationship Jesus wants to have with you and me, and the relationship He was telling these disciples that He wanted to have with them, is the, by nature the same kind of relationship that He had with them for three years. Get up in the morning, follow the Lord. <laughs> it's not complicated. Step one, get up. Some of you may be challenged by step one. Step two, follow the Lord. There you go. It's not complicated. We've written a lot of books about this, but discipleship is not that complicated. It's a following of the Lord Jesus in a relationship that is real and just as real as if you were following him in person 2,000 years ago. So, what are the characteristics of this relationship that's continuing? It's very different from the one they had known, but Jesus is saying it's still going to be there, and you're still going to follow me. So, what are the characteristics of the relationship Jesus wants to have with you? I want to build this, this understanding of what Jesus is teaching around four words. That's all you need for an outline, four words. The first word describing the relationship Jesus wants with you and me is the word spiritual. Spiritual. The relationship He wants with you and me is, first of all, spiritual. If we go back to verse 16, please, if you'll follow along with me again, it says, and I will pray the Father, and He will give you another helper, and He's referring to the Holy Spirit, just like Him, that He may abide with you forever. He's truly your forever friend, the Spirit of truth. Now. We realize the identity now. This is the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. So, the big first thing that is radically different from the relationship that they had before and that they have now is that this relationship is being mediated by the person of the Holy Spirit. He is mediating that relationship. And and so the Holy Spirit, who is God, and I don't know what your church background is, but some of the churches I came from, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit very much. 
When we talk about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. (laughs) And yet Jesus is saying, the relationship I want to have with you is going to be mediated by the Holy Spirit. He is God. He's the third person of the Trinity. He is a person. He is not an it. The Bible always uses the masculine personal pronoun to refer to the Holy Spirit. He, him, never it. I mentioned in first service, my wife was singing in a choir one time. They were singing a song where one of the great phrases was, send it on down, Lord, referring to the Holy Spirit. My wife is a sweetie. She don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but she just, she walked up to the worship leader. She said, I can't sing that song. He said, really, why? She says, because the Holy Spirit is not an it. He's not an it. He's a he. It's not an impersonal force. May the force be with you. No. He's a person. He thinks. He has a will. He speaks. Over and over again in the Scripture, he speaks. Speaks to Philip out in the middle of nowhere. Go near and overtake this chariot. Speaks to Peter on the roof when he has a vision waiting for lunch. He said, there's three men coming to the door. Before they even get there, he says, I want you to go with them. He speaks to a group of men who are ministering to the Lord in Acts 13, just worshiping the Lord. In the context of that worship, the Holy Spirit said, separate to me Saul and Barnabas. I mean, over and over again in Scripture, the Spirit speaks. They comprehended that He was speaking, and they obeyed. The Spirit, he can be grieved in Ephesians 4. I can wound the Spirit of God when I let things come out of me that he doesn't want to come out of me. Words, actions, behaviors. I can grieve him. I wound him. I can quench him when he's prompting me to say something, prompting me to do something, prompting me to speak to someone. And I say, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. Quench, put the fire out. That's what it says. And so, the relationship that Jesus wants to have with you and me is mediated by the Holy Spirit. And closely associated with that is the next characteristic of this relationship. It's not only spiritual, it's internal. This relationship is internal. If we go back to the end of verse 17, but you know Him, referring to the Spirit, but you know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. If you're taking notes, I'd circle the word in, because this is new. This is new. A residential Holy Spirit who's taken up residence and is going to stay there forever, abide with you forever. This is new. And of course, when Jesus was ascended into heaven on the day of Pentecost, 50 days later, the Holy Spirit comes, and He does exactly what Jesus said. He's been with you, now He's going to be in you. Now, in secular discussions about your inner cosmology, how you are made up, how you are composed on the inside of your person. There are all these debates and discussions, both among Christians and even non-Christians. And there are all these theories about how you and I are composed. This is not complicated. There are people that argue over whether you have a duality in your way you're composed, or if you're a tripartite building, body, soul, and spirit, or just body and soul. Hey, it's not that complicated. Listen, 2 Corinthians 4 Verse 16, just listen to what the apostle says. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Now, how many of you know your outward man is perishing? 
Amen? Okay. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. So something is going on on the inside that is transformational, and it's new, and it's powerful, and it's wonderful. The outer man's going to pieces. <laughs> so you have an outer self and an inner self. And Jesus is saying, this relationship's going to be spiritual, but listen, it's going to be internal. If you want to have a relationship with me, it's not out here in the physical realm. It's in here, in your internal self, on the inside. To illustrate this, I've, I've, sometimes I've literally put a door on the platform. And on one side of the door represents our inner self, your inner self, my inner self. On the other side of the door, you open the door, you go out here, it's the outer self. Now, the outer self, you and I know a lot about the outer self, don't we? It's how we engage the world and we interact with the world through our senses, smelling and touching and tasting and feeling, all these kinds of things. I mean, we interact through our senses. And I see you and you see me. So we interact with one another relationally through our outer selves. But Jesus said, this is not the realm where you're going to have a relationship with me. The intimacy you seek and the relationship you want with me is not external, it's internal. The problem we have as North American Christians in the West is we are consumed with our external self. We're always looking and listening to phones or pads or computers or radios or TVs or something, and we're always all this noise out here. And so if I'm going to have a relationship with Jesus, I got I to shut that off. And I got to learn to open the door and leave my outer self out here and come into my inner self and cultivate a relationship with Jesus Christ through His Spirit in my inner man, my inner self. You say, well, I'm not sure when God is speaking. I, I promise you that the onus of communicating with you is not on you. It's on Him. But if you belong to Him, He will speak to you. He'll speak through His Word. He'll speak that still small voice. He'll speak through your circumstances. He'll speak through a variety of different ways. But He will speak to you, and you'll know it's Him. John 10, a few chapters before this, He said, My sheep hear My voice, and I know them, and they follow Me. So, if there's a question in your mind about that, you need to understand it is a cultivated deal. We just don't arrive at being experts at hearing the voice of God, but we can grow as we read His Word, and we learn what He's saying in print, and we begin to hear His voice as He speaks to us, and the Scripture comes alive. We realize I'm not just reading print on a page, I'm hearing the very heart of God. He begins to speak to us. And I encourage people, if you're not already doing that, to have time alone with God each day. You know, Jesus taught in Matthew 6, He said, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who pray in the streets, be seen by men. He said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Sounds like an inner self, doesn't it? Go in your room and close the door, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, many times we look at that as a proper procedure. Proper procedures, you get alone with God, you have your Bible, light, well-lit place, make sure you're awake, drink some coffee or something. You read your Bible, check off your daily reading, then you go out in your day, do the best you can. That's not what I'm talking about. 
When Jesus talked about being alone with him, and when he would go out and get up before daylight, and he'd spend time alone with his father, it's a relationship. And so when he talks about going in your room, closing the door, it's not just proper procedure. It tells us something about the heart of God who wants to be alone with you. He wants to be alone with you. You and him, nobody else. Hallelujah. Thank you. (laughs) And so we need to grow in this. We need to cultivate this. And God gives us pastors. He gives us older Christians and people we can learn from and listen to. But there's no substitute for your relationship with the Lord. When I came to know the Lord in the 1970s, just before college, it was part of what was scholars now call the Jesus People Movement. And uh, it was called the Jesus People Movement. Why do you think? Because it was all about Jesus. Jesus. See, that wasn't hard. You're, you're sharper than the first hour. <laughs> I'm teasing. If you're first hour people, I'm sorry. I'm just teasing. It's all about Jesus. And it's just people who fell in love with Jesus. And, and I've been walking with him all these 40 years. And um, it's still just about Jesus. So this relationship's internal. I spend time with the Lord. I talk to him. Uh, what I do is not as significant as the fact that I'm with him. And I spend time alone with him, and he speaks to me. I'll make notes in a journal or something like that. But, but here's what I want you to understand. That just sort of sets the table for the rest of the day. Not because I was, you know, whatever scripture memory or note I made in my journal, that sort of thing, but because now I have opened up the line of communication so that wherever I am in the day, I can turn with him in my secret place um, away from an insanely busy world. I've carved out a spot in my soul where it's just him and me, and I can talk to him, and there's an inner conversation that goes on. So when I was pastoring, or now as a as a sort of a pastor to pastors, they come, they'll say, uh, Don, I have, a, I have an issue, I have a problem. And my first thought is not the four or 5,000 books I have on the shelf. Maybe the answer is in one of those books. My first thought is, Lord, help me to hear this person. Lord, what do I need to hear that they're saying? What do I need to hear that they're not saying? How do you want me to respond to this person? He might bring a scripture to mind that I'll say, you know, Brother, let's talk about this. He might bring a scripture to mind. Sometimes I'll just look at him and say, I don't have a clue. Let me just pray with you. And I'll put my hand on the shoulder. I'll just pray with him. Sometimes it's, um, he'll bring something to mind to ask about that he wasn't offering in terms of information, but, but he'll bring a question to mind, and I'll ask that question. But do you understand that's coming out of an internal conversation with the Lord? Nothing magic here. Just, just cultivate it, and I feel these prompts and pulls and that sort of thing. And, and so, when he says, this relationship I'm going to have with you is spiritual, well, then that's the very presence of God in your soul. And, and then he says it's internal. And your outer self is very important, but your outer self should be an expression of your inner self. And your outer self should be controlled by what's going on in your inner self. And then the third word, here's the other thing I want you to see, and this is wonderful in a world that we live in that's kind of crazy. You think the world's crazy now. It's all downhill from here, sweetheart. And, um, and so, the third word is environmental. The relationship he wants to have with you is environmental. Now, years ago, I worked in environmental engineering. 
I'm not talking about environmental in that sense. I'm talking about environmental in terms of what's around you, what permeates the very atmosphere in which you walk or where you're sitting right now. It's environmental. Listen to what he says in uh, verse 20. At that day, and the day he's referring to is when the Holy Spirit takes up residence in a person. At that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Now, we almost need chart paper to graph that one out, don't we? That day, you will know that I am in my Father. And so, just draw in your mind a mental picture of a big circle that represents the Father. Now, we know nothing can contain the Father, right? There's no place in the universe where God is not. So, I can't draw a circle around God, but just pretend. So, we draw a circle, and that day you will know that I am in my Father. And so, there's a big circle that represents the Father, but just inside that big circle, there's a smaller circle that represents the Son. And that day you will know that I, Jesus, the Son, am in my Father. And then he says, and you in me. We've got another circle to draw, don't we? So, we have the Father, we have the Son, and then we have you and me in Christ. And then he says, and I in you. You got one more circle to draw. He lives here. Do you have any idea how incredibly safe you are? The very nature of your existence is different from anything else on the planet because of what Jesus just said there. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, you in me, and I in you. Nothing can get to you dear one, that does not first pass through the Father and then the Son before it ever gets to you. And I know that raises a lot of questions. I know that there's difficulties associated with thinking that. But just hang with me a little bit because it's precious truth. You and I serve a sovereign God. The universe is not chaotic and running out of control. Our God reigns. And so, when he says that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you, you know the apostle Paul picked up on that and just went bonkers. 160 times in the New Testament, he refers to us being in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. I mean, just over and over again. He can't even start a letter without saying it. Listen to what he says, Philippians 1.1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. They're not just in Philippi. They're in Christ in Philippi. Colossians 1-2, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. They're not just in Colossae, they're in Christ in Colossae. Do you think that's significant? Philemon, verse 23, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, So, where are they? In prison. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner, in Christ Jesus, greets you. Now, why does he keep doing that? Because it makes all the difference in the way that you and I view life. Stuff doesn't just happen to you and me. We have a God who's in control. He lets things come into our life. There is purpose. I may not like it. My first agenda is, oh, God, get me out of trouble. But what if I'm in trouble because of some other purpose? One of the stories I like to tell, and I, I can't tell the whole story, but is the story of the founding of the church in Philippi and 
how Paul was crossing Asia Minor and tried to go into the province of Asia where Ephesus was, third largest metropolitan area in the Roman Empire, and he thought that would be a good thing to do, and he wanted to go there, and the Spirit said no. This is Acts 16. He tries to turn northwest. Mysia wants to go to Bithynia. The Spirit says no. Goes to Troas. Goes to bed. Has a dream, a vision. Man from Macedonia saying, come over and help us. And so he gets on board a ship. But afterwards, after he has the dream, he gets up the next morning. The Bible says, this is the text. So we concluded that. Two promptings not to go someplace and one dream You know, I come from a Baptist world. We're very uncomfortable with dreams. (laughs) Two no's, a dream. He reaches a conclusion. I think we're supposed to go to Europe. They get on board a ship. They go to Europe. They get to Philippi. They go down to the river. There's no synagogue to stir up things, you know. So he goes down to the river, meets a woman, Lydia, preaches a gospel. The Bible says the Lord opened her heart to give heed to the things spoken by Paul. She gets saved. Her household is saved. They got a toll now in Philippi. He's preaching through the markets every day. A slave girl who has a demon and tells futures for people, fortunes for people, comes up behind Paul, and everywhere he goes, she's hollering out, this, this man serves God. This is the man who serves the Most High. And it wasn't untrue what she was saying, but she could, he couldn't preach the gospel with her yelling. So with some aggravation, he casts a demon out of her, and her handlers, who used to make money off this girl that told fortunes, they can't make money anymore. So what do they do? They arrest him. They beat him with rods. They throw him in prison. And the Bible says the most remarkable thing, at midnight, he's singing. He's singing. A lot of things I think of when I'm in trouble, but singing's not the top of the list. Whining is usually what my speed is. And an earthquake comes, and all the doors pop open. The prisoners stay in their cells, but the jailer thinks everybody's left. He's responsible for this. He's about to commit suicide because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. Paul says, oh, no, 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 don't hurt yourself. And he preaches Jesus to him, and his whole household is saved. He gets saved, the whole household is saved, they all come to Christ. Now listen to me. How many of us are willing, in the course of following Jesus, How many of us are willing to be unjustly imprisoned just so some jailer can come to know Jesus? What if the problem that you're having is God sending you to someone else so that they might know him? What if there's a purpose that really does make sense 200 years from now in hindsight behind what you're experiencing? Maybe you need to do what I have learned to do over 40 years of walking with Jesus. Maybe you have to do what I've learned to do, which is every time some new circumstance comes into my life that's disorienting and I don't understand, I hear the voice of God saying to me, Don, will you trust me with this? Over and over again, Don, will you trust me with this? And maybe that's what he's saying to you. But I want you to know that when he is your environment, you're safe. Jesus said, in the world you will have tribulation. But be a good cheer, I've overcome the world. And where are you? You're in Christ. I mentioned uh, in first hour, what's, what's your name, sir? Brad. Brad. Let's say Brad. I just met Brad. Brad and I, we make friends quick. And so across the street, I looked at an aerial map before I came, and across the street, there's a park with a pond. Any of y'all been to that park? There's a pond over there. It's about 100 yards, about 100 yards. Anyway, 
And let's say Brad and I decide to have a contest. After church, we're talking, and I said, Brad, I, I bet I can hold my breath longer than you. And Brad says, I, Don, I know we just met, but you don't know me. I think I can hold my breath longer than you. So I said, well, let's, let's test it out. So we go over across the street. We go to the pond, and we both go underwater. This is not a baptismal service with Southbridge. This is just <laughs> me and Brad having a contest. Okay? So we go underwater. And maybe I have to come up first to breathe. Maybe he has to come up first to breathe. But guess what's inevitably going to happen? We're both coming up to breathe. Why? Because if you didn't realize that water is a hostile environment, you were not made for water. Now, if I had a snorkel and I could access my environment, I'd be okay. Or if I had scuba gear and I could breathe, I could access my environment, I could stay underwater a long time. If I'm an astronaut and I step out of the spaceship without a suit, it depends on which movie you watch, but you're going to blow up or freeze or do something in between. I don't know what comes first. It's not good. But if I have an astronaut suit on, I'm taking my environment with me. I am in the Father, Jesus said. And you are in me, and I am in you. Your environment is with you. That's why he said, the world, you're going to have trouble. Anybody having trouble? You don't have to raise your hand. In the world, you can have trouble. No news there. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. There's a purpose. There's mission. You may not understand it, the side of heaven. That's cool. But you can turn to the Lord and say, Lord, no matter what, I will trust you. Now, how do you want me to respond? So Jesus said the relationship that he wants to have with you and me is spiritual, mediated by the Spirit. It's internal, and we've got to learn to cultivate that time to learn to hear God as I read his word, as I pray, and I carry that through my day. It's environmental, and so I'm incredibly safe. I truly can go boldly into so many different scenarios if he's leading me because I'm safe in Christ. I'm safe. What can they do to you? And then the last word is personal, number four. The relationship he wants to have with you is personal. And really, this is the sweet part. This is the honey. He says in, um, in verse 18, I will not leave you orphans. Remember how significant that is. All the words he could have chose, he chose that word. I'm not going to leave you like a parentless person. I will come to you. Now, you, who do you think he's talking to? He's talking to you. I will come to you. He goes on and says, a little while longer, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Now, we know immediately that he's not talking about physical sight. The world can't see him because they're relying on physical sight. But we can see him. He said, you'll see me. You'll be able to recognize me in your world, recognize my voice, recognize what I'm doing. I will come to you. I'm coming. And I think the disciples were a little slow like me and maybe you. Because John 15 is like Jesus drawing a picture of this new life. Okay, guys, I can see we're not getting very far with this. Let's do it this way. I'm the branch you're the branches. Now, you can spend a lot of time in your life trying to produce fruit, but
But I'm not telling you to produce fruit. I'm telling you to abide in me. If you abide in me, you'll produce much fruit. If you'll have communion with me, fellowship with me, walk with me, love me, worship me, trust me, you'll bear much fruit. It'll just happen. It's going to happen. So where are you in this um, idea of a relationship with the Lord? If someone comes to you after service and says, tell me about your relationship with the Lord, what's it like? How would you describe who He is? who He is to you. I'm not wanting to, anyone to feel bad. I want you to be hungry and thirsty, dear one. I don't know about you, but so many people get caught up in the busyness of life, and they're missing out on life. We sang it, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. That comes from John 14, by the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. How are you trying to do life? I deal with pastors and their approach to ministry all the time. We have this conversation. Your approach to ministry, where is it taking you? Tired, exhausted, worried. Am I performing? Am I hitting the right metrics? Am I doing all the things I should be doing? I'm an organizational guy. You cut me, I bleed organizational stuff. If I thought the problem with the church was an organizational one, I have the organizational things that would help you. We'd be fixed all over North America, but that's not the problem, is it? It's not an organizational issue. It is a relational issue. And so, how's your walk with the Lord? Maybe, like me, there are times where you just sort of wake up after a busy season and you say, oh God, I did it again. I just, I haven't stopped. I've assumed what your will was. I have assumed what you wanted me to do, and I haven't stopped and just listened and just loved you. The greatest command in Scripture According to Jesus, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's everything. And uh, we think He wants so many things from us. Oh, I think God wants me to be good. No, there's only one good. He died on the cross for you. I think God wants me to be better and constantly improving. Well, He is conforming you to the image of His Son. But the great commandment is the Lord is looking at you and saying, do you love me? When Peter messed up, denied Jesus three times, what did Jesus say? Well, there you go, Peter. That's what happens when you rely on yourself. You blow it, bud. You know, did he do that? No. He said, Peter, I'm going to ask you one question. This is going to put everything in order. This is going to help you understand what went wrong, why you messed up. It's going to put everything in order. And I'm paraphrasing. Jesus said, here's the question. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? You see, Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise from the grave just so you could go to church and do your best till heaven. Jesus died on the cross so that you might know Him, so that you could love Him, so you could enjoy Him and, and let Him enjoy you. Let me ask you please to bow your heads and to close your eyes. We're about to enter a time of, of response, an opportunity where you can just respond to the Lord yourself, in your heart, and your inner self. So how do you need to respond? I don't know. That's between you and Him, but maybe you have felt a pull, a tug in your soul, a nudge, and that may be from the Holy Spirit. 
to do something, to make an adjustment in your life, to maybe approach your time with the Lord differently, maybe just to carve out some time even this afternoon just to be alone with Him. I don't know. How is He speaking to you? At the end of your life, what Jesus just said here in the Scripture is going to be the most important thing to you. I'm promising you this. What's going to matter most is whether or not you have a relationship with Him. There's a group of people Jesus describes in Matthew 7 who are preaching and they're casting out demons and doing miracles. Jesus said, depart from me, I never knew you. That's chilling. But it also shows it's about a relationship. Not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And you would think preaching and casting out demons, that would be the will of God. No, 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 no. It was about a relationship where out of the context of that relationship, he directs your life. The will of the Father. It's not a program that just passed out to a hundred people at once. He has an individual purpose for your life, and He has a way for you to walk it out every day. So would you just turn your heart to Him in these moments? Maybe you need to stand and just sing the words on the screen, and, and that may be your way of expressing worship. Maybe you just need to bow your head and close your eyes while the rest of us sing, and and you just need to talk to the Lord. So, oh God, we, we need to visit. I have been off the rails in my life. I have been pursuing things in my own strength. I have relied on me, and I've not been seeking you. Perhaps you've come here. This may be your first time, or you've been here before, but you're still trying to figure out what it means to be a Christian. Well, I want you to know being a Christian is not about being a church member. It's not about being part of a particular denomination. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus Christ. And it begins when you realize that this Savior died for you on the cross, and He took all your sins on Himself. Now, why was that necessary? Because God's a holy God. He can't have a relationship with people who have been rebelling against Him and rejecting Him and resisting Him their whole life. And so, what we call repentance is turning from doing life without God and turning to God and saying, God, I can't do life without you. And so you turn to him and say, oh God, forgive me. Oh God, I've been wrong. Thank you that you sent Jesus to die for my sins so that I could know you and that I could walk with you. And if you've never shared that with someone, if that's a decision you need to make while we're singing, you can be praying and say, oh God, I want to trust you for my salvation. I want you to change me. There'll be people standing on either side of the platform ready to talk to you. They'll share scripture with you to help you understand. Peter wrote, he himself bore our sins and his body on the tree. See, I'm not making this up. It's written in the Scripture, this truth, and they can share Scriptures with you and help you understand, and you can read it for yourself. So I encourage you to take advantage and talk to these persons that will be standing there. Say, I want to be saved. Help me understand. I want to follow Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Him. Help me understand. Maybe you're a believer and you just got an incredible burden on your heart. Everybody needs somebody praying for them. You know that, right? Everybody needs somebody praying for them. And, and if no one's praying for you, maybe you can come down again and speak to one of these that'll be on either side and just say, hey, I need you to pray for me. You don't have to go into details. Just say, I need prayer. And they'll pray with you. According to your need, 
Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We ask you to work among us. Father, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this time we spent together. Thank you for these dear ones and their attentiveness to me as a stranger and a guest. We welcome you here. We ask you to walk among us, change our hearts, draw us deeply into your own heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.